This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Resources, LLC. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, it's your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place. It is just a different place. So you must go out and buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would have never met. Holland is a code word for living life with those with disabilities. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. This has been a great week in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Marie and Christina, who are 19 and 18, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical 15-year-old. Well, our week started with our girls entering their first talent show ever, and it was awesome. Our youngest, Anna, is very good singer, opera um, singer, and each of my other girls doesn't quite have their talent. Well, they do now. Um, Christina does the hula hoop and she did a three minute hula hoop session for the talent show and it was amazing and she was so excited and smiling and then Maria came up with her own dance it's called the Transformer Dance Tacoma Stas and I guess that was the song that was real popular and she surprised us with her dance and she surprised her school with her dance so that was awesome to have them in the talent show I also took them to Adventure Island (laughs) and that was fun, and they finally got to go on the Colossal Curl. And we did that a few times. There are a few rides as I've gotten older that I don't want to go on, and there's a few rides that Christina definitely can't go on with her um, dizziness and orientation. Just It's just her composition, how she made up. We have an awesome show today. Our guest is Donna Kirk. She is the author of the book, Finding Matthew. It is a story about the sorrow, struggles, and challenges, as well as the amazing presence of love and joy that come with being the parent of a child with disabilities. And Donna is unique in that her child was born in 1970, and she's right at that point where people were still institutionalizing their children, and they were just at that point where children were beginning to stay at home with their parents. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. That's SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Donna Kirk. She is the author of the book, Binding Matthew. It is a story about the sorrows, struggles, and challenges, 
as well as the amazing presence of love and joy that come with being the parent of a child with disabilities. Hi, Donna. I loved your book, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. Could you please tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your family? Hi, Julie, and thank you very much. It's my pleasure for uh, being on your show and talking about Matthew. Yes. Um, Well, um, Matthew was our first child, and uh, we certainly didn't expect anything other than what one usually refers to as the perfect child. And in fact, um, uh, when he was born, he he was a breech birth and um, uh, took uh, too short a time to be born. He came uh, much quicker than they, they suspected. Right. Anyhow, the result was uh, brain damage because he was born not breathing and it took many moments to resuscitate him. And uh, he was rushed to uh, Children's Hospital in Toronto the next day. It was called Sick Kids Hospital. Yes. And um, so we were. it was a very poor prognosis and uh, we were told that to institutionalize our son because he was probably going to be a vegetable with a heartbeat. Wow, that's rough. Yeah, it was, and and it was it, it was not only rough, but I, I just thought it was inappropriate. I, I couldn't imagine professionals behaving that way, but they did, and unfortunately, I think they still do. Right. So, um, my husband and I were our, our, it was our first child, as, as I just said, and there was no way we were going to institutionalize him. Yes. And so he remained at Sick Kids Hospital for about two months, and for the first. Um, for the first few weeks, he couldn't suck, he couldn't swallow, and he had to have his saliva suctioned out um, to avoid drowning. Right. But uh, after that, he learned to, to swallow, he learned to suck, and by the time we brought him home when he was two months old, he could hold his head up, and um, he stopped crying when he heard my voice. So I knew right away that this child was going to do much better than the prognosis, and um, we just ca- carried on from there. But unfortunately, it was 1970, right? And uh, there wasn't a lot of um, a lot of helpful things for for kids like him in those days. And I think it was because many parents chose to institutionalize their children, and the ones who didn't, um, like me, right had to uh, struggle on their own and find ways to uh, to help their kids. Yes, well, what I thought was neat, I loved your story, and I just finished it, and so I don't want to be emotional, but what a, it was a, it's a page-turning story, and of course, um, in your story, there were special people along the way that helped you, and, and of course, all the names in the story have been changed to protect the guilty and the innocent, I guess, but um, the first doctor was a man named Dr. Carter, and I thought it was interesting that Dr. Carter, the one who told you that your son Matthew would always be a vegetable, never referred to Matthew by his name until after two months when you were leaving the hospital. Yes, he, he never he never referred to Matthew. It was just your son. Um, and he, he didn't think of him as a person. And th- that, to me, was, was so glaringly obvious that he didn't refer to, to him by Matthew. Right. I did right from the start, um, and, and I, I just found it unacceptable and 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 he even said to me when when he advised us to institutionalize Matthew he said that's what I'd do if he were my son and I just thought well you know he's not your son he's my son right and um he he actually never called him by name until after uh, when Matthew was two and we took him in um, to see him after he'd been swimming on national television in, in Toronto and um, then he recognized Matthew the person. 
Yes. And um, that, that to me was just, it was, was astonishing that after two years, and my son had to work so hard to prove himself, this man who was, was nothing to me, um, finally recognized my son. It, it, it was it was just um, it was it was astonishing. Yes. Well, what was neat to me is you had Doctor Carter, who was at one end of the spectrum, and then at Sick Children's Hospital, you have Miss Gale. And if not for Miss Gale, you wouldn't have realized, or you were already determined to keep Matthew. But at the same time, Miss Gale offered you hope, but didn't say it was going to be easy. No, that's right. She she was. Um, she was uh, a retirement age when Matthew was born and, and worked part-time because she loved her job. She was a single woman. She'd never married, obviously never had children, but she was a dedicated person to these kids. She'd worked all, all over the world <clears throat> excuse me, with um, uh, brain-damaged babies. Yes. And she said to me, in my experience, um, it's not going to be easy, but Matthew will improve. And so I hung on to her every word, and she was right. I mean, he it wasn't easy. He did improve, and he was an important person to us and uh, to his family and to uh, his friends and, and certainly the people who became his caregivers. And she was really uh, one of our main supporters and one of the main reasons I chose to hope because she, she offered me hope, but she was realistic, and, and right. I think... That's an important thing too. I mean, there's everybody. Every parent knows there's no fairyland when you're looking after children, and there certainly is no fairyland with a child with special needs. Right. So I think it was it was great that you had Miss Gale, and along the way, the other thing is not only do you have the challenge of raising this child with brain damage, but there's also that part of you're you're at your home, you're raising him. And I love the story about going to the grocery store because any mom with special needs, even if you have regular kids, there's always those people who are judging you or and there are those people who are very nice and helpful. And at the grocery store, when Matthew was 14 months old, um, I guess he, he couldn't sit up yet because of his, um, I guess, paralysis on one side of the body, kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, he he had cerebral palsy, and um, yes, I, I, that's probably what it was. He was very weak on the one on one side, and he'd fall over to the side. And um, I had just I'd bought the groceries, and he was sitting in the cart, and I was holding him with one hand to stop him from falling over. Even though I always put pillows around him, I didn't. Right. I just, you know, you just held your kid up, and I, with the other hand, I'm unloading the groceries onto the onto the belt. And this lady was uh, behind us, and she's watching. And, and any parent with a, a, a child with developmental disabilities knows the look. Yes. That these people, they, they have, they're, they're heathered to one side, and they're giving the look to the right. kid. And I just thought, oh, I, I, just, I can't deal with this. I, you know, she, she's going to start asking me questions. And I was super sensitive in those days, and, and, right. and, and, and to some extent I still am. But she's looking at him, and she says, um, how old is your baby? So I said, oh, 18 months old, or however old he was. And right. and, uh, and she said, um, oh, he's still not sitting on his own. And I mean, I felt like saying, well, yeah, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? But I didn't. And, right. and I know. And then I started to get upset because I knew that this woman was going to be one of the stupid ones. <laughs> so I and she she looked at him again and she said, is he retarded? Uh Oh, well, I, I mean, I was a, I was a mess, and and the cashier who knew us uh, was looked absolutely stricken <laughs> that this woman could be so stupid. And I just grabbed Matthew in my arms, and I looked turned to her, and I said, "Not as retarded as you are." 
<laughs> oh dear. I and I cried all the way home and yes. I phoned my husband at work and told him the sad story and he listened very patiently and he said you know, he said, you and Matt are going to have to learn how to um, handle things in a different way. Yes. And I was so annoyed with him. I, you're not home looking after him and don't you, you don't get it. And, all. and he, to some extent, you know, he didn't, but he was right. Yes. Don't you hate that? <laughs> I do hate it when they're right. I still hate it when it's we're right. It's like the logic. Yes. <laughs> and so I decided that rather than get my shirt in a knot and be so defensive and just snap back with my clever answers, um, I would choose to tell people a little bit about Matthew. Yes. And that's what I did from then on. I'd say to her question, you know, is he retarded? I, I mean, really, there's no answer for that. And I'm honestly, right. to this day, I'm really glad I said to her, not as retarded as you are, because that was the worst instance. But yes. after that, there are many people who would look at him and say, oh, isn't he cute? And, and, and then I, I would just start talking because I knew they wanted to know what was wrong right, with him. Right, right. So then I just say, you know, he's he's doing so well, and he's swimming, and he's doing this. And I just talk about what he was doing. Right. And they loved it. They loved being yes. involved in his life. And he was, Matthew was very good looking, which is God's blessing. Because yes. honestly, it's a looks world. Yes. And if you look cute, then a lot of stuff is, quote unquote, forgiven. Yes. And he was very cute, and he was very charming. And But he could also be very bratty when people were admiring him or when I was trying to show him off. So, right. um, But that worked much better for me, and the people went away loving him, and it was really the, the best solution to, to what could be constantly awkward. Right. Well, I liked what you did after that. You said, I decided to put my best foot forward, so I was going to look nice. I was going to make sure Matthew looked his best, and we were going to be, we were going to present a positive image of our situation. That's absolutely right. I always had him dressed in beautiful clothes and what whatever we could afford at the time, and his hair was always combed, and he always looked like a million bucks. It's it's so important, and, and, and as today as business people and presenting yourself, it is nice. You don't have to be wearing million-dollar jewelry. But if your water doesn't cost all that much, and you can be clean, and that's yes. we, we kept him looking pretty nice. So yes, yes. Well, this has been great. I'm Julie Ames, and what we're going to do is let's take a break. And when we get back, I want you to tell the audience all about Matt swimming at 18 months. Okay, and, Julie. And we'll go back to Dr. Carter. Yes. <laughs> this is Julie Ames. You're listening to 860 AM, The Answer. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Donna Kirk. She is the author of the book, Finding Matthew. It is a story about her, the sorrows, struggles, and challenges, as well as the amazing presence of love and joy that come with being the parent of a child with disabilities. Donna, could you take a minute and let the audience know where they can get your book, Finding Matthew? Well, it's available on uh, Amazon.com, 
and uh, all people need to do is just Google um, finding Matthew um, slash Donna Kirk, K-I-R-K. And just so everybody knows, and this is really the most important part, all royalties from finding Matthew are going to charity. So awesome. um, that's that to me, that's the most important thing. Yes, yes. Well, I loved your book, and as we were just talking, we were just talking about Matthew and how they predicted him to be a vegetable, and he's he wasn't. But when he was about 18 months, you started him in swim classes. I did. Yes. Could you tell the audience a little bit about that? Well, after the grocery store incident, um, I, I just became more aware of what Matthew needed to do for himself. Um, how others saw him um, was was important to some extent because he needed some survival skills. And right. so we we tried to teach him to sit, um, but he just couldn't seem to, to manage it. He was so weak on the one side, and right. the doctor called it a hemiparalysis, which he had throughout his life. But um, we read about swimming classes for handicapped kids in the, in the local newspaper, so we enrolled him. And when he started swimming at 18 months, he couldn't he couldn't sit up. And right. when he was two, he was chosen to swim on national television, a very popular sports program at the time. Right. And um, by then, he that was six months later, and his he, the, the, the instructor for the show. Yes. And my mother was watching, and she she was just didn't agree with this at all because it was Matthew was in, going to be in danger according to her, and she she was just right. terrified that they do something to him. But anyhow, the instructor threw him into the pool, <laughs> and much of my mother's absolute horror. And he swam underwater to the edge of the pool, pulled himself up, and got out and sat perfectly straight at the edge of the pool. And looked around for his audience. At this point, he was he was a real ham. He knew what a great kid he was and how smart he was. And right. he was the perfect um, person to be on this show because he, he his acting skills were so good. Yes, yes. Well, the, the part I liked was when you're describing the swim class, your first day there, and this uh, coach is explaining how he's going to throw the baby in the water, and babies automatically close their mouth and open their eyes and. When they go to, you're telling your husband you're not comfortable with this, and when they go to throw him in the water, you said your husband wasn't even watching. <laughs> no. Well, they, they didn't actually start throwing him in right away, but they right. dunked them under right away. Oh, they okay. hold them in their arms, and they dunked them straight down, like straight down and up. I, oh, my God, my God. They're going to kill him. He's going to drown. Yes. And And I'm, I'm clutching Ed's arm and saying, oh, no, they're, and he's looking away. I thought, right, here we go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What do you do? Well, the other thing is your doctor, your pediatrician realized that he had actually grown an inch in his chest from swimming. Yes, he he, he actually had. Um, and it was the I think that when you're swimming, you're taking deep breaths and you're right. <clears throat> that you're, you're automatically holding your breath. And it <clears throat> excuse me, it helped his muscles. Right. Uh, it just did a, a, a lot of wonderful things for him. His self-esteem, his acting ability certainly increased, yes. um, which he carried with him throughout his life at the, all the wrong times, of course. Yes. And his, uh, he, he, he learned to sit up. He, it did a lot for him. And I think it does a lot for, for learning a skill does a lot for, for any kid. Right. Well, tell them a little bit about the act that your son used to put on. And this was even before he was 18 months old. Tell them what he would do when he, you would take him to the doctor. Well, I, I, 
fortunately, we had a wonderful pediatrician in Oakville who, who thoroughly believed in Matthew. And he was the man who saved Matthew's life the night he was born. Yes. And he was very supportive. And thanks to him, we were encouraged to carry on. And we, our visits to him were delightful. But the doctor, who, Dr. Carter, who had seen him at SickKids and who called right. him a vegetable with a heartbeat, we never went back to him. I, I didn't see any point in doing it. And I think I, I made a mistake um, with that. Hmm. But uh, when Matthew was swimming on national television, I phoned Dr. Carter's and, uh, secretary and said to her, tell him that the vegetable's swimming on TV tonight, and would you please watch? <laughs> so, I mean, I was just, you know, real saucy in those days, and I right. guess I still am. But um, he did, and the, the office phoned us the next day and said, oh, you know, Dr. Carter would love to see Matthew. So I, I could hardly wait to get there. I thought, yep, we're going to show this kid off. He can sit up. He's right. smart. He's smiling. He's, he's just, he's really sociable. Yes. So we dressed him up in this fancy outfit, and my mother and I took him down, and we get into the treatment room, and Matthew refused to sit up. He just flopped over like a red doll, rag doll on my arm. He yes. started breathing like he was dying. Yes. He crossed his eyes. I couldn't believe it. I said, Matt, I mean, what are you doing? I was so annoyed. Right. And my mother thought this was the funniest thing she'd ever seen. Because it was an act. Total. Total yes. act. I yes. mean, here was this boy. I had bragged about He's sitting. He can pull himself up out of, the, out of the pool. Thank God the doctor had seen him do it. I know. On TV. Yes. And he ignored Matthew's antics, and he said to me, oh, Mrs. Kirk, he's a, he's a healthy two-year-old, and congratulations, and... But I thought, oh, boy, Matt, really and truly. I mean, just when you want, you're showing off your prized possession right. here, your prized child, your wonderful, perfect kid. Right. Anyhow, he, um, we, we got through it. But he put on that act for lots of doctors. He just, he did. He, he was, once when he was having his teeth fixed, this dentist who was going to anesthetize him yes. um, was worried. He, he was one of these people who didn't know what to do around a person with handicap. Right. And uh, he said to me, um, Will he bite me? And I said to him, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I, just, right. I mean, he was, it was just so ridiculous. Will he bite me? Right, right. So what do you do? I, I mean, I just said, yeah, probably, or I hope he does. I, uh, but and another time when, and when he was being anesthetized for, for dental work, he sat very still. This man was very ingratiating and, and just had a, a, a manner that I didn't care for. And, of course, right. Matthew, being the smarty pants he was, caught on to this guy right away. Oh, no. And he sat very still. I said, now, Matt, you know, we're, we're going to put a little needle on your arm, and it's going to put you to sleep, and then we can work on your teeth. So Matthew takes one look at this guy, and he's not. I thought, oh, what's he going to do? So then the doctor put the needle in Matthew's arm, and um, he's looking at the doctor, and with his other hand, as soon as the needle was in, he just yanked it out. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, of course, I just said, Matt, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, okay, honey, you've proved your point. Now let's get on with the dentistry. So the next time the guy put the needle in his arm, everything was fine, and we did the dental work. But that was Matthew just trying to show the guy he thought he was a jerk. But there's so many times that the kids will act up and you, you go and you tell a professional, well, they're not normally this way. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at you like, sure. Well, they don't believe you. <laughs> yes, because you're the mom. The other thing I thought was interesting and what people don't realize is Matthew never spoke. No. And I, I, I don't know if we had talked about this earlier, but I had seen this on TV years ago. And your book was the first one to ever mentioning it about with autism and different things. Not that that was his situation necessarily. But the idea that 
the whole sensory integration process starts in order to include crawling. Mm-hmm. And the pattern procedure, because he wasn't speaking, you decided to go to the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential? Yes, yes, in Philadelphia. Yes. And, you know, at the time, it was the most grueling schedule. I know. But, oh, I, but, and we engaged the help of, of, I think, close to 70 neighbors to come in uh, t- uh, twice a day and, and help with this patterning formation that mm-hmm. we move his arms and legs and... I mean, those were, we tried everything to try and get Matthew to, to perform the, the right. way a person needs to in society. Yes. And, uh, he learned to crawl like a soldier, and plenty of kids did. I mean, my. Right, and I was pulling with his arms. Yes, exactly. Our daughter, Kelly, just sort of did the bum crawl, hopping up and down like a bunny on her butt. Right. And that's how she crawled. Um, I don't even remember if my third child learned to crawl. Of course, that's what happens with the third child. <laughs> well, what the audience doesn't realize is you had three children in three years. <laughs> I did, three under three. Yes. I mean, when Matthew was born, we were told, oh, you're, you're never going to uh, conceive again. You've got a tipped uterus. You're, you've had a, you know, a, the birth was quite traumatizing. And right. So we believed it, and we adopted our daughter. And uh, when Matthew was two, we got Kelly, and she was a newborn. We yes. were absolutely thrilled. And then when she's six weeks old, I'm pregnant. Wow. So, yeah, so we were busy. Yes. So this pattern, what I thought was neat, too, about the pattern procedure, and I would not have thought of this, is you realized that there was no way you could do this. It was an intensive schedule, spending several hours a day at different points in the day. And the way the pattern procedure worked was someone moved the head, someone moved the arms, and someone moved the legs to okay. pattern crawling. Now, I saw this on TV, and in the case, it showed that it worked. It made an amazing transformation. But what you did is you sent out flyers to the whole neighborhood and asked for volunteers, and you had 70 people volunteer. I did. And they, they were, helped you for a year. Yes, they, they were wonderful. And we even had um, holiday schedules. People, I'm going on holidays and so-and-so is filling in for me. And it, they, it was really a wonderful um, gathering together of folks and friendship and, and encouragement. And they, they were just the most... And I'm friends with uh, quite a few of those people today still. They were just fabulous with him. So. Yes. But anyway, I was so impressed when I read that because there's so many times you don't want to ask for help. I would not have thought of asking for volunteers. Uh, more importantly, I was amazed at the amount of people who wanted to help you. I know. I was too. Yes. But it's, people are wonderful. They really are. And they, particularly if there's a kid involved. I mean, they, they really want to help a kid. And uh, I, I think that's... Um, that's the most important thing because you're you need help for something like that. I mean, there's no way we could do it. Right. Ed was at work all day long. We needed three people, so my right. mother couldn't come every day. Right. So that uh, it worked very very well. Yes. Well, Donna, let's take a break, and when we get back, let's talk a little bit about how it be, the strain that became. I guess about the time that Matthew was eight years old, eight or ten. Let's talk about that and what your family decided to do and how they came about their decisions. Okay. Okay, I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. 
I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Donna Kark. She is the author of the book, Finding Matthew. It is a story about her son, Matthew, and the struggles and challenges that, and the rewards that her family had in the years raising Matthew. And Donna and I are in the process of talking about Matthew's life. And Donna, you had the three children under three years old. And when Matthew was about eight years old, give people a little bit of a snapshot of your life. Well, when when Matthew, by the time Matthew was eight, um, he just learned to walk uh, when he was seven. That's right. That's right. And uh, so, up until that time, we, we we had to carry him, or we had we had wagons and strollers, and and um, all, you know, to transport him around. Right. Oh, I gotta say this: people need to realize that there weren't car seats. No, there weren't the nice strollers that we have today. No. So a lot of things that you came up with were makeshift. That's absolutely right. Oh, and there weren't there were not disposable diapers, and the ones that you said that they did have, they were too expensive. But you only used them when you were going out. That, yes, exactly. Because they were they, when when they got wet, they were lumpy. They were awful, and they'd right. fall apart. And um, oh dear. Yes. So no, we were still. I mean, by the time Matthew was was eight, we, the other two kids had long since been able to use the toilet on right. their own. But but he still couldn't. But um, but the, the big thing with with Matt at that point in time was that he was he was a terrible sleeper. He was right from the minute we brought him home from the hospital as an infant, and he was throughout his life. He right. would go to sleep early, um, eight nine o'clock at night, and then he'd be awake at two, and he, that was he was awake. Right. Um, and by the time he was eight, I was absolutely exhausted. Because I had the other two kids, Ed had to go to work. Um, the kids were all in schools by that by that point in time. So was Matthew, and I, I was just absolutely done. Right. So, and to say nothing of the fact that we we couldn't, we we just my husband and I felt that we couldn't help him any longer. We'd run out of ideas. Right. And there was so little. Um, help in those days uh, as far as agencies were concerned, as far as special needs groups. Or um, even education. Absolutely. I mean, there there really was, it was just what we could do on our own, which was plenty. However, um, so our family doctor suggested that we put Matthew on the waiting list for uh, an institution in Oakville called Oaklands Regional Center. Right. And it had opened in 1970, and it was for children and, and, and adults with developmental disabilities. Yes, and I was just—it was—I was just so against it, and we we struggled on for another year. And um, Matthew just didn't didn't we didn't seem to be, the big thing was we didn't right. seem to be able to help him. And I'm I'm stumbling over this because it was the biggest sorrow of my life too when when we put him in that institution. Right. Um, it was like giving up. It was like giving the care of your child to somebody else. It was like doing something that we refused to do at the start. Um, it, it was just all wrong as far as I was concerned, all yes. wrong. But I was, I was absolutely desperate. And so, and, and of course our relationship, my husband's and my relationship was suffering. Um, right. Uh, oh dear. Well, 80% of special needs parents get divorced. <laughs> yes, that's quite true. And that, that statistic was, um, was available then, and I don't think it's changed. 
Right. I mean, it's, 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 it is. It's very, very difficult. Yes. But still, I, you, I just felt guilty and I, and I still, it's, it's my biggest regret. However, there were a few good things that came out of it. Right. Uh, when Matthew went to live at Oakland's, um, oh, and before he went, he was also doing some behaviors that were totally astonishing to us. And that was a, a he, he decided he'd vomit. Right. Whenever he felt like it. And I, I believe that was, it was attention seeking behavior, but of course yes. we tried, you know, we tried to find out the cause and there was no known cause uh, through all these doctors. Which is frustrating. Terribly, because if there had been, he had an ulcer, or he, it, you can grasp that. Right. But there doesn't, didn't seem to be a reason. And, um, so that was going on. Plus he wasn't toilet trained, plus he didn't sleep. And, um, but within, Two or three months, the vomiting stopped, um, yes. and he was toilet trained. He didn't sleep any better. When he w- went to Oakland. When he went to Oakland. And, but then they had awake night staff who were up, you know, with, with, if anybody was awake, then there was somebody there right. who it was their job to be yes. awake at night. Yes. So, and they had eight-hour shifts, unlike you. <laughs> precisely. I mean, parents are on 24-7, which is fine. You sign up for that. Right. But you also hopefully uh, will get eight hours sleeper, or at least six hours in a row. Um, right. But anyhow, so there were th- those were the pluses. But um, when he got older and just into his teens, he started another behavior, which was again bizarre. And yes. there, even though we we looked into it, there was there was just no known cause other than perhaps his uh, damaged brain, and it was called pica, P I C A. Yes. And it was uh, ingesting inedible objects. And Matthew's uh, specialty, if you like, was toothbrushes, pens, pencils, and I mean whole toothbrushes, pens and pencils. Well, I liked uh, when I was reading the story about you at the hospital, and they were there to get the toothbrush out. And if I remember the story correctly, they got the toothbrush and a comb. And the doctor came to you and said that there were still two or more combs in there, but but they were going to have to do that surgery later? That's right. We were. This this was the first occurrence of this, and we oh. we were just blown away. You, you can imagine, right? And she was too. That yes. the surgeon was like, "What?" And, and she apologized. I'm so sorry. I couldn't get the other two combs out. I'm like, two oh more combs. Gosh. Yes, oh. and they were plastic, so they weren't showing up on the X-ray. Exactly right. Rays yes. go right through it. So yes. Um, and you they, ended up at the hospital many times with this, and and I I thought it was interesting. Well, not interesting, but. I, sh- I could feel your pain when you said you were always so embarrassed. I was. Because what do you do? Well, and particularly um, this woman, this surgeon, had to operate on him two or three different times, and then she lost patience. Right. And she blamed me, um, even though he wa- he wasn't living at home. And then I blamed me because he wasn't living at home. Would right. he have done this had he been living at home? Was he, you know, was he was so upset that he was in an institution? And it, it, I just did that number on myself. Right. And uh, she said to him, to me, why don't you put a muzzle on him? Yes. Uh, and and I thought, well, okay, fine, put a muzzle on him. But he'd just get more frustrated and angry. Yes. And then we determined that these these swallowing sessions happened after an anger session. Okay. It took us a long time to figure this out that he'd get into this this rage mood. Um and he seemed to he swallow something and then the mood seemed to be over. Right. Well, he would clench. You called it clenching and yelling because he yeah, would clench his clenching. hands. He'd yell and clench and then and then swallow something and and it seemed to be over. And of course, 
we never figured that out. Uh, we tried everything. We it, it was just something that he seemed to do, and we we just couldn't understand what it was. Right. Yes. Well, um, then uh, finally, my husband and I decided if we didn't get him out of the institution, he was going to kill himself. Right. Uh, so we became affiliated with um, a community living association north of us called Brampton Caledon Community Living. Yes. And they offered a program called Home Share. And uh, Matthew was a very lucky young man because uh, one of my relatives died yes. and never had children and left him some money. Wow. Through us, of course, because you couldn't leave Matthew directly, money directly. Right. And so we bought him a house. And uh, Brampton Caledon found a caregiver for him, a mother, single mother and two girls. And they moved in and lived with him for 15 years until he died in uh, 2010. Yes. But um, after he moved in with them, the swallowing stopped. And uh, to, to to a great extent, he still had these rage sessions, and he would maybe would try to swallow something, but there was somebody always around and, right. and th- that could stop this. Um, and he went along pretty nicely um, until the last two years uh, before he died in two thousand and eight. Right. And then uh, the rage sessions started all over again, and um, we, uh, we 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 got a, psychi- a psychiatrist for him. He was taken to Oakville Psychiatric um, because um, he attacked um, his caregiver, and um, w- w- and I, I was there at the time, and we right. called the police in an ambulance, and uh, he was uh, assigned a psychiatrist at Oakville Hospital, and he was the most wonderful man. His name was Dr. Voraganti, and that's his real name. Yes, and he was very impressive. He was, he was and he loved Matthew. Mm-hmm. He was the most excellent person, and he said, "This is." It. And he said to me, "You know, Mrs. Kirk, your son, you have done such a good job with him." And 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 I was so relieved to hear a professional say that because here I was right. a kid who was just being so destructive and so bizarre. Yes. And but he, this psychiatrist said to me, "He's a wonderful young man." I thought, "Oh my God, I can't believe it!" <laughs> After all this time, you know. Right. So he. Um, he had theories about what was causing this, obviously, as a result of the brain damage. But uh, he put him on, he tried various medications. And his first, um, Dr. Varganti's first thought was that Matthew was suffering from what he called agitated depression. Right. Um, so he treated that for a while. And it, it calmed him for a while. And then he went right back. And then. Dr. Voriganti uh, said, well, maybe it's a psychosis. So then we took antipsychotic, he took antipsychotic medication and that didn't do a thing. But finally, Dr. Voriganti said, no, I'm convinced it's agitated depression. Right. And the thing that we think will help him would be electroshock therapy. Well, and my husband and I just about wow. fell over. I mean, I, my, 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 all I could think of was Frankenstein lying Me on too. The, when oh, I read the book, I, I was thinking I, the same I, thing. Well, you know what? Let's take a break here. And on the other side, let's talk a little bit about electric shock therapy okay. and go from there. Okay. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest today is Donna Kirk. She is the author of the book, Finding Matthew. We In the last segment, we were discussing how Matthew developed um, something called Pika, where he would swallow inedible objects. And we're also in the process of talking about how he had developed, I guess the last two years of his life, he's developed psychosis. And you just met a wonderful psychiatrist who was explaining to you what a great job you had done. Yes, he, he really, he because at this point in Matthew's life, we knew that... Uh, we were absolutely desperate for answers um, right. because he's and Dr. Voraganti continuously explained that the aging compromised brain right. um, is is much more complicated and 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 ages quicker than say a brain that hasn't been compromised uh, at birth as such as Matthew's case. But um, right. the long and the short of it was that uh, after experimenting with different medications, um, he decided that Matthew indeed did have this agitated depression yes. and that the, the, the thing that could help him most was the electric shock therapy. And so uh, my husband and I hated the thought of it, but right. um, we, we, we knew we had to take a chance and, and um, try this, this last thing. Uh, so we agreed. And then unfortunately, the day before Matthew was to receive his first electric shock treatment, he aspirated um, food and, and mm. uh, developed pneumonia, My. and um, he died um, uh, four months later. He was in hospital all that time, so he died four months later, and he never received the treatment that might have helped him. So it was it was um, it was very very sad for us and to lose him like that. Yes, but um, the good thing was that in the end he. We found a wonderful doctor who believed in him and who loved him and who saw his worth and value and who saw our worth and value as his parents. And um, it sort of it made everything right for us, that, that we right. had done the right things. And, and uh, so in that sense, the, the, the end wasn't as, as, uh, as sad as, as many times in his, as Matthew's life had been, as yes. far as my association with professionals was concerned. Yes, and the neat thing to me about Matthew is all the people that were there. How, yes. How, um... Yes, his caregivers, his friends, his all his supporters. Uh, he he really had um, many many people who loved him. So yes, um, it's it's it was he had a good life. And you did such a great job because both his siblings um, love Matt. Yes, yes, and enjoy Matt. And that's a big concern because you do have to worry about resentments and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it looks it, you did a you did a great job. And thank you so much for sharing your book because for us. Um, I'm at the beginning of my journey, and a lot of my audience is in different in different areas. So, thank you for taking the time to write your book and and sharing it with us today. Could you please tell people where to buy your book and well, how to you, contact you? Okay, you can contact me at um, www.donnakirk.ca. Yes. Um, it's Donna Kirk, D-O-N-N-A-K-I-R-K dot C-A. That's my website. Um, and um, send, me, send me a message. Um, and um, my email address is uh, Donna Kirk dot um, Kojiko dot C-A. 
and uh, C-O-G-E-C-O. If you want to send me a, a, a personal email, I'm glad to talk to anybody at any time. And the book you can order through Amazon.com. Um, just put Amazon.com, Donna Kirk slash or finding Matthew slash Donna Kirk, and it'll the book will come right up, and you can download it or um, you can buy a, a, a soft copy. And please know that all of the royalties are going to charity. Yes. And another um, thing about your book is I love the appendix where you used to talk about how to cope. <laughs> it's an excellent chapter where you go through a lot of um, advice for parents and what to do in different situations. Well, yes, thank you. And in my experience, I just felt that um, and, and many people have enjoyed that and actually have emailed me with, with other really, really good suggestions. So it, yes. it opens up uh, quite a uh, discussion. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Donna. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. And don't forget to join us next Sunday at 1. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1 for the Special Needs Family Hour, only on AM 860. The Answer.